so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello and welcome to the Marseille View. My name is Stefan and tonight I'll be hosting. Um, so for tonight's show, we're going to do a post-match breakdown of uh, the well, the derby at the weekend. Or not the weekend, sorry, the derby at Tuesday night. Was it Tuesday night? Yes, it was. It's rather foggy in my mind, which is probably a, a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. But yes, yeah, so we're, we're, um, we're going to do the review of the Lyon-Marseille derby, the Choc des Olympiques. And we'll do a little bit of coverage of uh, the previous game, the Coupe de France, and that was against Montpellier. So joining me to do that is uh, Ben. How are you, Ben? Uh, good. Have recovered from Tuesday um, and, and the frustration, the pain and the anger. And uh, looking forward because I'm travelling to Marseille tomorrow for the game tomorrow night. So mixed emotions, Steph. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous, but then not because if it's anything like Tuesday, then I'll be glad I'm not going. <laughs> but no, no, that nice one. It's good to, to get to the games, isn't it? It's been so long for me. Um, and we've also got a, a familiar voice, an old voice. Ed, how are you? I'm all right. I'm good. I'm glad to be back on. Glad to be back on after a, a rather long absence. Um, Talk about something other than Formula One for a change. So yeah, good to be back. And unfortunately, talk about Tuesday's very miserable result. Yeah, well, you timed it greatly, didn't you? Maybe, maybe, maybe because you've not been on, is why we've been doing so well, Ed. You know, because um, gone are the days of the of the angry rants. You know. Yeah, the the angry KFC laden rants with police sirens in the background. Those days are sadly gone. Yeah, well, nice to have you back. And you're going to the game tomorrow as well, so aren't you? So it's pretty exciting. Cool. So everyone's going to the game without me. Right? Yeah, um, no, sorry. You know. Sorry. <laughs> right. So before we start, actually, I just forgot to mention that maybe we'll do a little quick summary of the Mercato as well, just because the January window just closed. Um. So we'll yeah we'll just give a little thoughts on the the comings and goings from that. And I think with that, then we'll just get started. So now, just looking back to the weekend's fixture, so it was the Coupe de France, uh, Marseille were against Montpellier, and the well, this was quite an interesting game, I understand. I, I didn't see the game, unfortunately. Um, it was on Friday night, so it was in the, the round of 16. Marseille drew 1-1 at home, and it went to penalties, didn't it? And, uh, and they were... They came away with a 5-4 victory in penalties. Uh, I don't know if either of you managed to catch the game and can give us a little kind of quick um, summary uh, of what happened. Um, yeah, I, I, well, Ed and I both watched it. I mean, it it was, you know, after after an encouraging victory away from home in Lens, we know our, our, our away form has been better recently. And so I, I, we, when we did the, the show last week, I sort of predicted that we'd, we'd win, but it'd be difficult. Yes, happy we came around, uh, away with the win. We played okay, we created okay, but you just had this impending, inevitable sense, as sadly usual with m- most of the recent home games, that just we just weren't going to find the breakthrough. Um, and at the same time, whilst Montpellier weren't looking threatening, you just had this sense that they would find a way to, to, to get a goal, and they did. Um, and it was an equaliser, and it was just probably the only defensive error we made of the whole evening. But yeah, it was uh, it was better than than probably uh, the, the home game two weeks before that against Lens. We we looked a bit sharper and we were making a lot more vertical runs and a, a, there was more intent. But we just 
we just we just don't have our, sh- our scoring boots on. We, we we create the few chances we do create, we should be burying them. We didn't, and it took Milik to come on as a sub and and for him to to scuff a goal effectively. But you know, let's face it, if there's any any OM player that's going to be in that position in the box, you want it to be Milik or Payet, and it was Milik, and he and he scores from it, and it's a centre forwards goal where. The ball's sort of knocking about in the area. It comes to him on his left and he buries it. Good, good goal. And we looked, we looked good value for our lead, but we couldn't hold on. They equalised. Thankfully, it goes straight to penalties because we were looking a bit tired. We went on penalties. It's encouraging. Um, but yeah, it's the, the, the usual sort of frustration signs of, of us playing at home, not being able to break teams down were there. Ed, over to you. Yeah, I, I think it there was always that inevitability that they were going to score. I mean, again, got complacent, one nil up, thinking, okay, yeah, okay, there may have been 5,000 people in the ground that, that night, but the whole feeling of, yeah, we've got this, no problem, and then Montpellier score, and the chickens start running around the, on the motorway and getting run over by the lorries. <laughs> um, but, yep, they kept their call in the penalty shootout. Montpellier kind of let their, kind of dropped their coolness and we hung on and got that in crucial result and in regards to what's happened in recent days with the fact that Paris Saint-Germain have gone out of the cup we should be in a good we're in a good position now to win the whole thing so it's a, a crucial result a good result for us but obviously it would be nice to get it done in 90 minutes rather than having to deal with the agony and pain of penalties yeah yeah I'm, I was kind of like looking forward to the game initially because uh well, my I, a friend staying with me who's from, from Montpellier and um, it, thought it would be kind of fun, but I, I guess we just sort of ended up um, drinking and had, you know having too much to catch up on, so we sort of missed the game. Um, it sort of beca- became not a priority, and I'm sort of glad I didn't actually see it because when I sort of when I read about it, it just it sounded like we were kind of a bit poor in parts, and I just thought you know. I think you know the fact that um, it went to penalties as well, and we scraped through. Just didn't really, yeah, just didn't sound like I'd missed anything, anything wonderful, anything spectacular no, for a Friday you night. Really, you really no. didn't, apart from the potential banter value with your mate. You're right, Steph. Um, and and again, you know, we look at it, and th- this is where it's it, it's it's still very frustrating because. Yes, we, we we know we've struggled at home. We've played a bit better than we usually do at home. But the fact is, Montpellier were missing Savanier, Germain. They were missing a lot of their starters, and we still struggled. And that's what's frustrating. And and when we when we go into the Lyon game, we're going to have the same conclusion. But it's like we should be asserting our domination a lot better and a lot more and a lot more dangerously than we are. And we just we're dominating without threatening and. Um, you know, and and I, I was very relieved when Valère Germain was declared unfit to play because you just knew he was going to get a goal if he'd have played, inevitably. And even then, we still found a way of making it difficult for ourselves. So happy we qualified, happy that the run's continuing. And, and as Ed said, PSG are out. They lost to Nice at home on penalties too. We have to go to Nice on Wednesday next week now. Um Monaco is the only other big team left on paper, but you never know with OM. The paradox of Marseille is we could make the final and lose against fucking Versailles. So happy we're still in it. Nice away is not going to be an easy game, and, and our fans are banned from going, obviously, as usual. Um, we know the hostility that, that was there the last time we played there, so it's not an easy place to go. And this is this is also the period where all these games are going to start piling up in terms of fixture list, where we are generally going to play every three days for the next six weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Paris Saint-Germain got put out actually from Nice, so it kind of makes the competition seem a lot more open. Um, but yeah, as you say, we shouldn't really get carried away. Um, we don't really have a great a great track record, to be honest, um, in recent years. So, I mean, although we've won the Coupe de France, what, 10 times isn't it the last time we won it was in like 1989 so we're not really expecting much you know and, and and since that we've had a quite a few finals that we haven't won i believe we've won, we've been runners up four times since we've won it five times in fact five times since we've won it 
So that just shows you that we we don't have always have a great record. Going into, we know we don't have a great record going into finals. Yeah, How many uh, European I, I finals to, we've lost as well? Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I went to to two. The last final was PSG in 2017, 16. I believe. 2016 or 16. Um, and I went to the, the two before that. I was at, I was at Stade de France with with Alex, I think, for Social and for PSG. And and it's just yeah, it just I I just don't know. I yeah. It's one of those where we were the most capped club in that competition. We're not anymore. And then suddenly it's like, yes, it's been ages since we've won it. It'd be nice to win it again. But we, it's just never clicked. And even when we have made the final, you know, against Social, I mean, it was fucking criminal to lose that game. As good as as good as good a, a small team Social were, um, you know, we, yeah, we missed chances. We conceded two stupid goals. Gibral Cisse misses loads of chances. Then the year after we played PSG, Fucking Vikash Dorasso of all, all people scores a wonder goal. And it just, I, I just remember thinking, this is it. It's just not going to happen in my lifetime. Oh, I'm accursed and stuff. We're back, we're back in, in, in a good position again now. Let's see if we can go at least to the final. But we have one of the biggest, well, the most difficult opponents left in the competition away from home in the next game. I think it's also trying to avoid losing to the bogey teams because Marseille has had a habit of dropping a proverbial dump when they play against a small third, fourth division. The last couple of years, four, yeah. Third, fourth division. For example, Canet Roussillon, which is now a swear word in Marseille history. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's just, we can't get complacent now. We're in the quarterfinals, but we can't go around like we've got the medals around our necks. We've got to keep playing like every game is the final. And... This is going to probably be our best chance to win it. In the fact that PSG are not in, you know, the competition anymore. You've got other teams like the like Lille's still there, of course, are a top team. No, Lille, Lille, oh, Monaco, Lille, Monaco, Monaco, Monaco are there. They're going to be our probably our biggest threat. We need to get this job done. Like we will not get a better chance, I think, for at least two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It seems a bit like never, never, doesn't it? Okay, so. We'll move on anyway and onto the main feature tonight. So it was the, the Olympic Derby with Leon. So this is the rescheduled game from earlier in the season that was um, suspended because of the incident um, with, where Pye was hit with a, with a bottle. Uh, so, so we finally got this game rescheduled uh, and leading into this game, everything's in our favour, you know. So we've got a Leon side that are missing, like, m- more than half, I think, of their first team, the first team squad, aren't they? Like so many players are out through COVID, through and internationals, I believe, as well, um, an injury. So we, yeah, we the, know... the, the South American internationals, but, but yeah. So not to butt in stuff, but while we're on the subject, um, a little little dig to our to our Lyon haters. Um, you know, there, there was so many tweets going around like, oh, so unfair, we're missing so many players, and and in their lists. People were listing Febvre and Guimaraes as missing the game. It's like, lads, you sold one and you replaced him with the other. So same as us, our recruits, they can't play the game either. It's like, come on, let's get real. We, effectively, yes, they were missing players, but we were missing Jason, Conrad. If you compare the number of players missing, we were missing the same amount, but they were missing more first-teamers than we were. Um, yeah, but... Okay, yeah. but yeah, they, I mean, but they were they were missing a lot of players, and um, we we go into this game feeling quite confident. I think, well, well, we should go into this game feeling quite confident, and you know, it, it kind of seems a bit like the stars are aligning. I don't believe we've, we'd been we'd won in in Lyon for what was it, fifteen years? Um, so, so yeah, this seems like the kind of the moment where we can finally go there and get a victory, and I'm I'm I, I won't say too much because I let you guys um. Um, summarise the game a bit more but I actually felt like although like for most of the game we were very much in control I actually felt that Leon were a lot better even from the start they were better than I expected despite the fact that they had a lot of young players on the pitch um, and the, despite the fact that we were the dominating side I actually think that you could see that and this is always the case with Leon I'm, I'm going to say it and, and not a lot of people aren't going to like this but Leon always have far more technical players than us over the years. They're all, you can see they're always a better team 
um, of na- of natural footballers. Um, and even and you can even see that with our youth players. You can see that the the technical quality that they've got is much much superior to what we have. Um, and, they, and they're just really a bit of football inside. I know I know it sounds awful, but they are. They've got a philosophy, do, you know, philosophy du jeu, whatever you want to say, it, um, that we don't really have in the same way. Um, maybe we're starting to develop something now. But yeah, so you can even though we had the advantage, we've got the more experienced players in the pitch, we've got more first team players on the pitch. Um, they, I, and we were in control of the game. I still always felt about like mm, this team are actually better than I thought they should be. Um, so it, I, I was never quite convinced entirely that we were going to win the game, even when we were leading. I felt like there was a chance that Leon could come back into it, and you, you know, this is the second half. We, we kind of saw it all sort of fall apart in the last 20 minutes where suddenly Leon come back into the game and start really, they cha- you know, they made some adjustments and they started to, to change, you know, by pressing and the attack and making it difficult for our keeper and our defenders who like to sort of pass the ball about and, and play from deep. And yeah, we, the, the introduction of Musa Dembele as well was just giving us absolute nightmares. And yeah, you could see it happening, you know, in those last 20 minutes that we were going to lose that game. And that's why I, t- I titled the podcast Sh- uh, Shock Disneyland Peak. It was, it was an absolute shocker. I think probably the, say, the biggest regret that we'll have of the season. W- wouldn't you agree with that? Sadly, yes. And it, it's just so frustrating. Um and I, I was one of the, to be honest, because they had players missing and stuff, I, you know, the, for me, the minimum expectation was, was especially with the context, so, you know, you're sort of expecting us to be super motivated and, and Payette, for example, to want to prove a point. And, and we, we started okay, we did well, and, and we scored, and it was deserved, and, you know, we had chances, and we just... As, as, as I said in conclusion of the, the previous game, we just, we're not clinical enough, so... We end up exposing ourselves to a comeback, which doesn't happen often against weaker sides than Lyon. But as you say, Steph, I was going to make the same comment, and you you did it. Lyon, despite the absent players, they held true to their philosophy, and it it could have cost them if we'd have been 2-0 up at half-time, for example. Maybe the game would have been done and dusted, but it it wasn't the case. And they, they, even with the absent players, they played their game, they played their system, they didn't sit back and, and play the victims like a, a Bordeaux did, for example, when we went there. And it, it did. It, they made a tweak. Bosch made the tweak with um, Kakri moving slightly forward, which nullified Genduzi and uh, and Rongier, especially Rongier. I thought had a pretty poor game. Um, and and so it started causing us problems in the first 20 minutes, of the second half. And then it just just went crescendo. They were getting closer and closer and closer, creating, creating, creating. And then suddenly, inevitably, we can see that equaliser. And then what? Th- th- this is where you compare Bosch and, and Sampoli, and, and this is probably another topic for, for later on in, in, in the show. But we just did not adapt. Lyon adapted. They nullified us. They found a way to counter us. And it, and it, and it paid off because they won the game. And they, well, not only did they get back into it, they won it. We didn't adapt when the pressure started building. And that's what ultimately cost us the draw, at least, you know, at least a fucking draw when, when, you, when you should have won the game. And this is where the, the, the majority of the frustration for me is, is that you, we, we could all see it slipping away from us. And we just, Sampoli didn't react. The players didn't react. It was just shocking. And, and, Again, you, you, the title is is perfect, perfect because yeah, how can you have a first half like that and be so far on the ever end of the spectrum, the ever extreme in the second half? And it's just, I'm lost of lost for words. But I, time for an Ed rant. I think the reason why we lost is because we got complacent. We went one nil up. Gwendo Dizzy got his head to it, and we got very complacent. And then you'd see silly shots being produced by the likes of Under and Kamara. And it's really no wonder that Leon thought, hang on a minute, these guys are not being, they're not, they've not got their heads in the game, they're being complacent. And it spurred Leon on 
to score first equalise in a splendid goal by Dembele, which, you know, you look at and you think it's a defensive howler. But this is a game we should have won, and we didn't. This was a crucial three points. Half their squad were out through internationals and the fact that you had the likes of Gamera leaving to go to Newcastle. And yet, here we are. We lost 2-1 at the group of armor and we're wondering what on earth can we what on earth happened because this was a game that was you know a chip shot three points and what happens we, we lose and that that's the problem with some of this team at times it's very they get very complacent they get a little bit arrogant and they think that you know they can start you know yeeting the ball into the stands it doesn't matter we're one nil up with 55 minutes gone but the fact is, every minute counts in football. And when you don't do that, it costs you the game. And unfortunately, it costs the boys in the midweek. And, you know, Leon are now right, right back in it. And yeah, six points behind. Six, us, six yeah. points behind. They're breathing down our necks. We can't afford to lose any more games. We can't afford to lose any more big games. And, you know, if we, if we play like that against Leon, you know, what chance have we got? Because well, if we played like that on Tuesday against Nice, we're fucked. It's well, the same thing. We're screwed. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> I think the thing is with with Nice, we got to point out them, although albeit it was behind closed doors, and the fact that it was at I believe it was in Troyes or something like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, in Troyes, and the fact we did one one. Yeah, the fact no one was there unless you had a really good step ladder, which you <laughs> nicked from um, the bigger large. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, we've got to beat Nice midweek. Otherwise, the cracks are starting to show. And it'll give me, uh, de- it'll give me deja vu of 17-18 when Rudy Gar- when we were in pole position to get Champions League and Rudy Garcia and collapsed. We collapsed. We we had two opportunities and we we choked. So I, I am slightly worried, but I think Sampaoli will give these boys a bit of a lecture, saying, right, come on, guys, this is for the sake of the club. This is for the sake of the city. They've been craving Champions League football. I mean, you can't really say 1920 was the most well-deserved concern. The season was, you know, cut in half because of the pandemic. And the stadium was empty when we did play it. The stadium played empty. We didn't play very well anyway. So, you know, they need the right act told to them and said, look, come on, guys. We've got this in our grasp. Don't blow it now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think for me, the, the... The season that I'm worried about repeating here is the 2014-15 season actually under Bielsa, because in a similar way um, we were we come into this sort of stage of the season very strong and, and we were we started dropping points around about here rather than right at the end and then by the end you know it's too late to catch up in the last few games and you know this is a kind of game where I think we might regret this quite significantly because that was our game in hand um, that would have put us back into second place now we've lost that second place for now and you know as you guys said we've still got to play Nice um who are ahead of us so yes hopefully we you know it, it won't turn out to be so significant but it could be a big a big well three a, a big three points still is you know it's a six point potentially so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see um I think for me like yeah the I want to say we want to blame the players we'll come to tops and flops in a minute I want to like say that the players are responsible. I, you know, you, you make a good point. There's maybe we were um, too relaxed. We, we were too comfortable. We thought we'd won the game. I don't know, but I I blame the manager really for the the defeat on Tuesday. I think that he showed his limitations, his inability to make the necessary adjustments when they were clear and they needed to be made, and the changes he makes at the end are too late and um, ineffective by that point, and the game's already. It's already passed us by because even before the Leon scored the second goal, we were out the game. We were, we, we, it was so clearly coming. They were just causing us attack. Every attack they had, they were causing us a lot of problems. And it like they could score at any moment. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like he sort of just misread that, and he, he couldn't make the necessary changes uh, at the right times. And he, and that's something I've seen with him before. And I think it's the indications of uh, a manager that has, you know, that maybe is limited at the, the highest level because I've seen in the, some other the more important big games, same sort of thing happening with him where he, he can't quite make the right changes. And the stories about him asking 
the players whether or not they want to come off or I think there were stories today that he was asked the players what their favourite 11 is, what the best 11 they want to play and things like that, whether they're true or not. Um, well, if they are true, well, then they really indicate someone who isn't leading, who doesn't isn't quite confident in his own choices. Um, and it's kind of reminds you of the stories that we heard about Sam Pauli at the 2018 World Cup when he was asking Lionel Messi what to do in the game. So there was a bit of that going on where I'm, I'm hearing similar kind of things happening last night. He's, why the fuck is he asking the players? If this is true, why is he asking the players? He should know. And if he didn't if he didn't ask the players, he didn't know anyway because he didn't make the changes that were clearly clearly needed to be made. You know, so, yeah, um, I think that... I take that with a pinch of salt because it's such an easy thing to put out there because it's happened before, right? Um Okay, so maybe he didn't, but he maybe, still maybe he, he still didn't, didn't show but, by his tactical choices he didn't react. that he he, 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 he knew out. what to do, did it? So so either way, yeah. he still failed, and I I still yeah stand by my original point, which is that I think he showed his limitations potentially in a game like, like that. Um, you know, I think we know where maybe his ceiling is, um, unless he can prove us wrong and he can win some big games and make. And, and change games and show sort of some uh, level of dyna- dynamism that we've not seen from them. But yeah, this is where I want to because because I was pissed off, obviously, and frustrated um, after the game. But I was also, you know, I don't know if you remember in the, in the, in the WhatsApp chat with with the rest of the guys. I was also like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe it's the best possible time for something like this to happen because we've been on such a you know mini high of winning, breaking history in Bordeaux. Beat, winning convincingly away to Lens, uh, qualifying for the Cup, but at each time it, it was a bit of a scrape, you know. And sometimes these kind of defeats, especially with the context of them missing so many players and empty stadium and stuff, it's maybe it's the, the perfect humbling defeat at the right time that suddenly he, Sampoli, and the squads and the leaders can go, hey guys, look, we've still got a lot of fucking work to do here, um, because yes, we had a good run of results, but it's this is how fragile it is. Um, and hopefully it's the wake-up call at the right time before our, our, our tough... Well, we don't have a tough run of games, but we have a, a lot of games. Um, and, and the European campaign is restarting soon. So maybe I'd like to think this is the, the, the wake-up call at the right time, which everybody, the whole club goes, right, yeah, we, we've not made it quite yet. There's still work to do. Um, and also... You know, we to put it. Not, I'm not finding excuses, but we were missing Jason. We had Gbakonbu uh, and Kalasinac weren't qualified to play the game anyway because they they wouldn't hear when uh, the initial game was supposed to take place. So, in a sense, it, it also made me realise that a as much as we've all criticised him at times and people still do, Jason, when we play without a, a, a true striker and we play this sort of false nine system, it goes to show that. Actually, he's a really crucial part of that, um, and fair play to him that he's, he, if he's found that importance and he, he proves that when he, he comes back and he's in the squad for tomorrow, we'll, we'll see. But that's point A. Point B, you know, it, it shows that we've we strengthened in, in the, the positions that we needed to, and where we, we knew there was a gap. And hopefully, this is just a hiccup. Um, and, and we'll, we'll have confirmation on, on Wednesday away to Nice and hopefully this doesn't restart the trend of us losing the big games and shitting ourselves and choking in the big games. I really hope it doesn't. Um, that's the, the proof will be in the pudding. OK, uh, I think we'll, we'll do some tops and flops then. Um, Ed, maybe we'll start with you and let you get a chance to, to speak before um, we all... Well, slag off probably the same players <laughs> that you were going to mention. But yeah, do you want to do you want to have a go? Who, who's your tops and flops for for this game? So tops, Windowsy scored a very good header from the corner flag. Gave another gutsy performance. Just stand, just standard behaviour for him now. He's really coming into his own since moving to Marseille. Paul Lopez, great performance. Even though the results tell a very different story. Without him, it would have been three, four, one, mm. and I would probably say it's difficult to say really. I mean, 
I mean, Pyatt didn't have a, a particularly bad game, I would say. I just don't think he got the great service. Flops under Kamara and I would say Harriet. I mean, Harriet, yeah. Harriet. I mean, all three of them were were not great. I mean, under, I'm surprised that because he's been the market consistency since he arrived to Marseille from Roma. Um, but he didn't have a good night. Kamara whipped in that silly shot where he should have just passed it and we could have got two, we could have been two and all been outside. Harry up again, not a good performance for him. I, I really, I want to, I want to like the guy, but I, I'm getting a little bit worried that he's just going to be a, a fringe player. Also, quick shout out to Lewis Enrique again. It's a guy who's just not gelling. He, he needs it. He needs a bit of pampering, but there's only so much you can do before you, before you decide, you know what, we have to abandon the experiment. Mm, okay. But brutal on, on Amin Aritz because he only played like 10 minutes, did he not? Or uh, I think it was 20, wasn't it? He came was it? on in what, the 74th or something. But, but actually, to Ed's point, and I, I've rewatched the game uh, uh, yesterday. Don't, know, don't ask me why, I inflicted a bit upon myself, but... Um, actually, I, I, I noticed this, um, to Ed's point, Luis Enrique, as much as we all want him to be better and more decisive offensively, he seems to have been, and, and Sampaoli made this comment earlier about, uh, he was asked about Mirek and Amavi, and he basically said today in press conference, like, look, it's quite simple, we have a bit of a complex system. Any player who doesn't have the football IQ or the willingness to, to invest themselves and at least do the bare minimum, which is running their socks off, they belong here, and it's not the place for them. Um, and to be fair to Enrique, uh, yes, he's had run of games and he's not been decisive. Whereas if you compare it to Radonic last year or the year before, well, the year before mostly, he had the run of games, started scoring a bit, but overall still frustrated. But Enrique, when he came off and Arid came on, even though we were under the cosh from Lyon, that's when they started having a lot more luck down the left wing, which was which Enrique was covering actually quite well. And Arit didn't do, and maybe this was an instruction from Sao Paulo, which was push up a bit and try and try and play in between the lines. The fact is that when Enrique went off, both goals came from Lyon's right side. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean, you, I just looked, you're right, actually. Sorry, Ed. Um, Arit did come on 20 minutes. He came on the 70th minute. Um, yeah, and we considered both goals after that. And, and, and those yeah. have been the first goal. Malo Gusto gets in behind, uh, and Enrique. If you if you look, uh, the start of the second half, Gusto tries making that same run a couple of times, and Enrique actually tracks him back and follows him and cuts one pass out. Um, so it's, you know, at the very least, Enrique, he's he's being a team player. If he can't have an impact with goals and assists, at the very least, he's respecting the system and and putting in the miles for his teammates and and for for, for the coach. Yeah, I mean, I, do you know what I was going to pick? I was thinking about possibly picking um, Luis Enrique as a as a flop, but I think he makes some good points. Like he, um, do you know, maybe he he maybe he, like he's putting the work in, but I th- I think often you don't see him in that role down the left side. It's kind of like hard to see him. He's not always visible where you think you would expect to see him. But I think that's partly because of the way that we set up, because we don't have a sort of traditional wing back we're not really playing with proper wing backs you know um so it's quite a hard role anyway i think for anyone to play it's a kind of non-position it's a it's like it's it's something new on its own i don't think we can really like understand it that well you know yeah Um, it's not it's not a classic wing back role where you're expected to up and get in behind it's it's more of a you're supposed to tuck in when we're out of position as in pack the midfield and the central areas and, and because we play a possession-based game, you will never, you'll very rarely be in that position where, where you get in behind and have the, the time and space, which is, as you've said, Steph, typically the profile of players that play this position are the pacey, good crossers and good dribblers. And and in the system we play, which is so possession-based, they're, they're one of the, they're, they're there to bring width, but yeah. they're actually, they're not actually ever there to, to make a decisive run in behind. They're there to drag people out of the middle. No, oh, and I think maybe because we played differently the season before, our expectations around the the, the wings maybe is a little bit um, um, confused. You know, we because we, we saw how important 
Lirola and Enrique as a as a sub when he came on as a sub last season was in that in the system we were playing then, but that's not really how we're playing now. Um, but yeah, so I think in in Enrique's defence as well. So I'm not going to pick him then as a flop. I, I'm just saying his defence. Like I think if he just like had a bit more confidence to shoot, there was like occasions where he was in good positions and he you expect him to shoot and he just doesn't shoot. And I mean this is coming up in other games as well. Um, and I, I think if he if he had a bit more confidence um, in an attack to to sort of, to yeah to take risks, we we might be a little bit less hard on him. I'm a big I'm a fan of him, but I, I do I have um, sort of felt recently like I'm starting to get a little bit um, impatient. I'm losing my patience a little bit, you know. I I need to see some end product from him soon because he's getting too many games where he's yeah, he's 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 been it's relatively poor. Yeah, yeah um, but then I, do you know, I'm not I'm not on the Conrad bandwagon at all either because he's the most indecisive player you could imagine. And, and the team. It's so his I, first full pro season as well. We can't expect yeah. so much from Conrad. But just just to finish on Enrique, um, and because I did it specifically, like focusing on him rewinding the game yesterday, um, the the vibe I sort of got, I got sort of flashbacks. Um, I'm glad he's getting consistent game time. And look, let's face it, Sampoli is quite ruthless. He chops and changes. If if he wasn't performing well in training or giving signs to Sampoli that he deserved to be the starter, even though we're missing a few players, he wouldn't be starting, um, firstly. But he, I'm getting mini early Ocampos resurgence vibes from him. Remember when Ocampos started, started coming back into the fold? It started coming good. <clears throat> We, it wasn't necessarily, he was still imprecise and undecisive in the attacking third, but he was he was putting in the miles and putting in the, the, the graft on the left side. And, and touch wood, let's hope, and, and I've, I see signs of that, let's hope that Enrique is going the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Because Campos needed that run of games, but he also needed to adapt to, to that, that sort of, Role that Grinter role of that in, inside winger, that defensive winger style. So yeah, hopefully well, Enrique could do the same. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Campos was. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe not seeing it so much yet, but um, I, I the very, I think a very different type of player, and I, I think that's quite natural to Campos to 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 play in that kind of way. Really, even if it wasn't how he was before he came to OM, I think is is kind of part of his temperament. It, it suits him. But um, yeah, so just I'll, I'll just say tops, tops. I don't know. Can do say yeah. Do I want to see Lopez? Maybe I. You know, I I think Lopez did have a good game. I think he made some good stops. But I actually think as well he he showed some weaknesses and um, you know being off his line. Leon will clear like. At one point, you know, you saw Shekri try the long ball effort. It was kind of like a statement. It's like, do you know what? Like, you dick around like that. We are good enough to catch you out. Um, and uh, I think that, like, has the and this maybe is not so much down to him, but down to the system that we have. But the passing the ball out to the defenders, Leon, were able to adapt to that in the second half and made our whole game plan a little bit fucked really you know like you're not really able to do that just play block you know play the ball long 100 agree so yeah. i so i think in some ways i i, I don't know if i can pick lopez at, at top he's kind of sort of swaying between top and flop I'm, i've got reasons for picking them for both so I'll, I'll put them in the middle in purgatory right now and i'll just say the flops so the flop the top one top is getting doozy and i'll say the flops have got to be Oh fuck! There's so many of them. I, I, I the defense, the two defenders, Chaleta Saar and Saliba were pretty woeful at the end. Um, but I think maybe the, I mean, under Luan, Luan Perez, Lerola. Fuck, there was there's so many of them. I thought we were really bad defensively. Um, in the second half, I'll say Lerola and um under. Under because of his missing chances and just being too selfish and um, not just 
yeah, not been decisive as he is in the past. He could have, I think, if he had a better night, we probably could have had the game wrapped up and Lerola just because defensively, I think he was a bit shit. Even though I, I, I kind of actually like him, I think he's a lot of the criticism of him is quite harsh. But yeah, I don't mm. think it was a game. I think Leon were able the way they set up with Emerson playing high. Um, it was the I think they were able to sort of um take advantage of, of some of our weaknesses. I thought, I thought Leroy in the first half had uh, one of his best halves of, for a long time, but in the second half, as you say, Leon adapted and nullified that. Um, yeah, that's your turn. No, I, I'm not going to take long. We've covered it. Um, I think I'm, we're not in disagreement about the flops, but I guess because there's three of us, we can cover everyone. <laughs> um, top, yeah, Genduzzi. Paulo Lopez for, for his key moments. And, and usually in, in past seasons when, when Mondoldo, or, or well, it's mostly been Mondoldo, started, but when we have these little, you know, alarm bells and he makes a decisive save, like notably in the, the, the first season with Villas Boas, Mondoldo, that spurred us on to actually wake the fuck up, and we didn't. So, yeah, uh, I wouldn't put him in the top, Paulo Lopez, and I agree with you. That, that, uh, fortunately, Lyon is, is a good team, as, as badly or averagely as they performed this season against the rest of the teams. They, they schooled us on Tuesday, and they, as you say, once, once they started pushing up a bit and cutting his passive lanes, they took away the things that potentially make him a top, and suddenly he's he's just a run of the mill goalkeeper again in 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 against that quality of opposition. In the flops, um, I'd add to all of yours. I'd add Rongier, who um, looked even in the first half, he just he just looked a bit lost. Uh, maybe it's because Lyon played differently, and it was weird for him. I I just think he's because he's had. Six weeks out, he's still getting back to, to fitness and getting back to the system. Um, I'd add uh, out of the back three, Luan Perez was was the weakest link, um, and I've praised him recently. For a player who's come over from Brazil recently, he's done really well. Uh, in he's one of those players that when you have the game in hand and in control, he will shine. But when he's actually has to play that classic. Not classic, but when when we play a team that actually is is attacking us wave after wave and putting pressure, he gets he's the one out of the back three who gets exposed the most often. And sadly, as soon as Enrique went off, as I mentioned, and stopped covering him and 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 helping him out, he was exposed. And that that he didn't cost us the game directly, but the danger came from his side because he wasn't protected and he was exposed. But that's it. And and yeah. final flop. San Pauli, for the reasons we've discussed, didn't adapt. Yeah, I, I, I've said in this podcast before, I'm not, I'm not really a fan of Luan Perez, and despite the fact that he had a moment in the first half where he skinned a few players and nutmegged someone, um, the, I, I did find myself watching a game and I said to myself, if he didn't play, if he was playing like say in England, like what level would he be? And I was thinking he's a Championship level player. I just I just can't see him like um at a, you know at a, at a, another good club. I think he and I think over time he won't be good enough. I I just find him too limited like defensively and even on the ball like he's very one footed. I I pay I find it painful watching him. He's so one footed and just just doesn't look naturally a good footballer to me. Um, he's not. I, I said it before. He's he's one of these weird players. Is that he's not good enough as a defender to be a central defender but he's also not good enough in the ball to be a left back he's somewhere in between is a weird no, he, one no he's he's a ball playing center back right but yeah but he's not good enough he's not good enough he, he is when everything's going to plan and what when everyone else is covering his mistakes you know it's not yeah. his mistakes but because because we play that system where where honestly even against teams like psg where he didn't get exposed you know if it's going to plan and, and we're playing the perfect, everybody's at 110%, he, he, he's one of those that actually does add something because he can play out from the back and he can move forward with it. But when it comes to playing the sort of classical type of game of football where suddenly, for whatever reason, and on Tuesday, it's because the opposition adapted and, and countered us in the second half and nullified our usual style of play, he finds himself 
suddenly having to do a job where he's basically constantly not he, he's not on the ball and he's not pushing forward and, and playing that that passing game from left to right of the defense of the get of the of the of the shape suddenly he's tracking back and having to mark his man and look look over his shoulder and stuff and that's when i agree with you steph he he it's not that he shows his limits but because his profile isn't that profile he will get exposed he will get found out fortunately mm. it hasn't happened too often but if if he's one of those that i look at and maybe for next season you know where we see many players that have that second season syndrome where they well, for example they they because they've been sussed out he's one of those i think that is most at risk next season of being exposed and sussed out by the opposition because they will know to target him in a certain way and and put him in danger in a certain way so we'll see yeah yeah i think maybe we just have a different view of him uh, uh. Um, I don't think I'm going to agree. I don't see the positives. I, I find them a lim- limited footballer, to be honest. But um, the I think maybe we'll just maybe move on and um, quickly do uh, a summary about the Mercato because it did close just a few days ago uh, and it looked like we were going to have some activity right at the end, but um, it ended up being quite quiet for us. But in, all in all, it's actually been quite an interesting January window and that we've bought and well three first team players and, and I believe in a couple of uh, players for the youth um, team. So uh, we've covered some of these before in the podcast. So we, we, we talked about uh, the fact that we'd signed Cedric Bakambu um, and then we signed uh, Sead Kolasinac from Arsenal. Um, we also made another signing in the, a few days, a couple of days before the window closed and that was Samuel um, Gigo. Uh, from French defender from Spartak Moscow. Um, we didn't. We, the only departure we've had is Amavi, I believe, isn't it? Um, High profile departure who joined Nice. We talked about that in the last episode. But yeah, I don't know, guys. What are, what are your feelings about the the January window? I know that there was um, a lot of rumours um, that perhaps that maybe we would sell some players like Chaitasar. Kamara both linked to moves to England didn't happen. Um, I don't know. What do you think, guys? Like, you happy the way things worked out with the signings and the, the, the lack of departures, or is it, um, yeah, a Mercato where we failed to to do what we needed to do? I thought it was a fairly okay Mercato. I mean, got a couple of signings there and then didn't lose anyone too significant. So I would say it was a fairly Decent. Mercato is not going to be one I'm going to be looking back in 10 years thinking, oh, wow, that was such an exciting month. It was very tame, but we kept all our best players. We added a couple more players for a bit of depth in the squad, in Bacambo. And, yeah, I'm, I'm relatively pleased. Obviously, we'll need to do a little bit of selling in the summer, but we might as well keep the players we've got, and then we can get rid of them when the time comes in June, July and August. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, has anyone seen the new guy, Shiko? That's how you say his name. Uh, well, I haven't honestly seen him play, um, but the videos that have been circulating in the recent days is him like starting chants on the play, and apparently he's one of these warrior profiles. Um, Adil Rami version two, then, basically. No, I, I'd, I'd say more about <laughs> Gonzalez, actually. Rami, Rami was a joker. She goes one of these. And, and it, I think yeah, he's but chanting on the plane, that's sometimes. the kind of thing Rami would be doing, isn't it? He's, he would be no, the guy. Because like, Rami, the was, Rami, was a, Rami was a dosser, though. Gigo, I think he's more one of those Alvaro Gonzalez, Sana type personalities. And he's from, I think he's from the South of France, too. From Avignon, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. So I think he, for him, this was like the chance of a lifetime, right? We'll see. Um, I hope he's not as limited technically or, or uh, football IQ-wise as, as Alvaro, but let's face it, Alvaro is probably going to be moved on in the summer, so we needed someone in the dressing room to, 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 to take that, that sort of carry the flame after him. He's, one, he's a local boy. We'll see. Uh, and it's on a free and... Um, it makes sense, you know, it fits the mould of, of the Grinta thing that probably Sampoli wants. And let's face it, the majority of OM fans would always identify to. The way they're doing with Alvaro, even if he plays and he's a bit shit, whatever, he's still in our hearts because he's he's a character and he's he, 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 he you know, he plays with, with his heart on his sleeve. So it fits the mould. 
it makes sense. He does have some European experience uh, in terms of uh, European Cup games played. We'll see. Um, it could be worse on a free, especially the fact is though we, we had to we had to make some anticipations because we have this potential transfer ban looming, don't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I yeah, I should have said the uh, Gigo signing is uh, is joining us obviously in the summer. He's on loan to Sparta until the end of the season. Um, yeah, and it's really it does look like we're sort of preparing for the future. Um, it was a bit of a worry if we were going to sell Chaleta Sar or why we're loaning this guy out, but um, but yeah, obviously that didn't that move didn't come no, to fruition. Um, um, well, Chaleta Sar, the, the 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 big question is now he's got eighteen months left on his deal currently. You would like to think that we won't repeat the mistakes of the past and at least try and extend him or, or well, try, have the discussions. If for whatever reason he says, no, I feel it's time to move on, then then sell him pretty early in the summer if we can for, for a you know, respectable 15, 20 million. I'll take that for him. He's worth that. Um, that's fine. But it, he, he's playing so well in that back three that we, we know that sadly... As much as we'd all love to chip into a a crowdfunder and pay you Saliba's 30 million fee and keep him, the, the more stability and consistency we keep in this in this weird, wonderful system that Sampaoli seems to want to pers- persist with, the better. So let's see what happens with Chetetar. The same with Kamara, to be honest. You know, a bit, bit pissed off that he is probably going to leave on the free and the writing was on the wall. I would have been extremely shocked if he'd have left for five million or ten million, just because he's got so much more to gain from a personal point of view, waiting until he's free agent this summer. But in, at the same time, as we've analysed over the last few weeks on on, on the pod, and, and many analysts have said it, because he's now playing that sort of hybrid. Remember Alexis Romao with Bielsa, where he 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 drops back into defence when we're out of possession and stuff. He's got the perfect profile for that because he's played there as as a centre back in 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 his uh, in his youth days. So he's just so crucial in that role, and he's also one of the the the, the players that seems to be consistently fit and and very rarely injured. Fortunately, <clears throat> even if we don't, well, it's not even if if even if even though we're going to leave him lose him on the free this summer. If the fact that he stayed and it enables us to get top three and Champions League qualification, then in a way it's sort of half forgiven because that's worth more to the stature and economy of the club than than getting five million for him to not lose him lose him on a free this winter. Yeah. Um, so um, from my opinions about this is like, yeah, one like about Gigo, like I I, I do like a. Um, I do like a like a I do like it when OM sign players from the south. I don't know why. I just I do like that. Um, I've always said that, and uh, I think it's just the idea that you might have players that like the club. I don't know if he does like the club, but you know, might support them, might understand what it means to play for them, that represent the the not I guess not really the local community, but it's the near enough the region, isn't it? It's close enough. Um, it's not in Provence, but it's close enough, isn't it? But um, the uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I do like that. Um, I, I, I kind of buy into all that stuff. Um, romantic, I sort of romanticise it all. I think. And uh, but the yeah, with the two players, like they didn't leave. I what I mean with Kamara, I obviously you know I've said all along I don't want him to leave. I wouldn't have sold him anyway in the window. I, I think it's better just to let him play to the end of the season, even if we do lose him for nothing. Personally, I have a feeling that he will renew. I just, I just have a feeling, um, and I think it's interesting that he's not really like signed anything with anyone yet. But we'll, we'll maybe we'll find out soon. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope, I'm hopeful that maybe something might change. Um, just, and... just, just on Kamara stuff. Um, I mean, he, it's not been announced inside anything. I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to act like an insider or anything like that. But I um I spoke to to someone I know who's who's connected more or less to the club and look, this may be bullshit but I'm just putting this out there. Um he this this person reckons that he agreed a deal with the the classic free agent shark club Juventus a couple of weeks ago. 
well, I mean, well, that won't be announced for, for, for a few weeks, obviously, for, for loads of reasons, but it, it wouldn't be a surprise because Juventus have been all over free agents and apparently um, they got Adrien Rabiot to, to reach out to him and, and play a role in convincing him. Well, we'll see, we'll see, but that wouldn't be a surprise. And to be honest, that would be a really great move for, for Bubakar Kamara if he can if he can impose himself there and, and get into the starting eleven. And good fair fair play to him. If 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 he leaves Marseille to go to a big club like Juventus, that's fine. If he leaves Marseille and I see that he ends up at a at a Sevilla or a, a fuck knows where, like a Newcastle, I I'd I'd be a lot more frustrated than pissed off. Um I anyway, as I was saying that he um I, I, I'm still kind of hopeful that we stay. Um, I mean, personally, I don't really believe that r- rumor. Like, just because, well, Juventus just signed Dennis Zakaria, so I, I, I don't really see why they would sign someone like Bubakar Kamara, who's exactly the same kind of very similar kind of player, plays the same kind of role. So, but yeah, you know, it's true they do like to sign free agents, and they're not going to. They've spent all their transfer budget basically for the next two years on Vlaovic, so they are going to be looking at free options. But I think it's more likely. I would imagine that they'll sign someone like Kessier or Brozovic or something on a free that will to replace the other players that are going to leave Juventus, um, which are more players that play a more central mid and further up in the midfield. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I'm hopeful that maybe he'll stay. But obviously the chances are getting smaller by the day. And then with the choice of one, yeah, again, like I'd rather he stayed, you know, and um, we can renew him and or sell him in the summer. Um, I think it's important that we we um, do every. We know we've got the strongest squad that we've got to finish the season, and I think if we'd sold players right at the end of the Mercato, then we put our Champions League push on, on, on at risk as a result. So, so yeah, I think it was. I'm, I'm quite happy, but I don't know. Like maybe like in the summer, like um, when it comes to June and we're going to to the DNCG, we might find that we're 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 in a spot of bother as a result. I don't know, but we'll we'll, we'll have to wait and see I mean, what I think, happens. Yeah, I think the loss of like someone like Chiletta would be a, a loss to the club because I think he is a good player and I think you know he's one of those top class players. I mean, if he wasn't great, he would be getting called up for Croatia. Uh, every week when there's an international so I mean for me if we're going to sell players we might as well sell after this year's World Cup because the January market will be swirling uh, shortly after the tournament because there'll be stars coming out and I mean if we have a chance if let's say Croatia have a good tournament it might be the ample right right time to sell a uh, set to start yeah and I um just before this this podcast I was with uh with our friend Jeremy shout out to you Jeremy um, but we were doing a sort of overall Mercato Ligue 1 recap and nobody's really strengthened, you know. The, the only clubs in Ligue 1 that, that went big this January were, were sort of Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne. They had no choice. They're, they're fucking in dire straits. They, they, they had to do something drastic to try and not go down. Um, and it's not without these pitfalls. I mean, you've seen uh, Joris Nianion, who we were linked with when he, when he was at Rennes, remember? He went to Sevilla. And, and he's not played for ages there. And uh, he arrived on loan in Saint-Étienne. Apparently, he's 20 kilograms overweight. Like, that's incredibly... Fuck me. Just... It makes you wonder how he passed his medical, doesn't it? Well, well, in the position they're in, he was, like, probably committed to a very harsh fitness program. Regardless, he's better than what they've got, even if he's 10 kilos overweight. Let's face it, right? But um, but it's also they've got, they've got options at the back, don't they? They've got yeah, just no. saying Man- Mangala and they've got Kolodzic. Yeah, but Man- Mangala was was another signing, Kudy. right? But, but they're starters. Kudy. Kudy's all right, isn't he? He's a bit like a kind of young Alan, uh, John Alan Boomsong, but yeah, erratic. But, but he's yeah, got one some... of the worst defenses in the league, Steph. You know, even even though maybe they have promise, they're still yeah. But anyway, conclusion is though because. For the first time in ages, and um, I've read something about this on on Monday, and it was um, it, it was like a sort of taking taking looking back five or six years, and and they basically took an Arsene Wenger interview from 2014, where he basically explained gradually what's going to happen with the over inflation and stupidity of ridiculous release clauses and transfer fees. 
players that are not top but that are to get potentially could be top so describing your bubico cameras describing your your debalas you know um because they they know that very few clubs are going to out, outlay the, the the transfer fee on them and and the salaries um and add to that the fact that since then covid's happened he wenger basically predicted that we would get to a stage where more and more higher profile players would, would run down their contracts and, and leave on free. And, and it's exactly what's happening this year. So you have Dybala, free agent in, in June. You have Kylian Mbappe. You have so many top profile players. This would have been unheard of 10, 15 years ago in, in, in European football. But yeah, I, absolutely. It just it does show you how things have changed, doesn't it? The, the market. It also it also yeah. sort of it illustrates why this this sort of winter mercato was was quiet for many clubs, apart from Newcastle United, who had cash to splash and also needed to spend to, to bring people in to have a chance of staying up. Everyone else just is just patiently waiting for these free agents and to see what opportunities that's going to create because if if a big club signs one of these big free agents well they're gonna need to move players on you know if you look at madrid if they sign mbappe which is likely that means that uh, an isco or asensio would potentially be available for a bit cheaper or on loan and and it's that knock-on effect that domino thing that i think we're going to see this summer beyond the 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 covid economical impact so it's going to be very interesting to to see the, the shifting dynamic and from what we've seen from Pablo Longoria so far at Marseille, I'm, I'm a little bit confident and optimistic that we will navigate that pretty well. But let's see. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I don't expect us to sign many um, desirable free agents, to be honest. I think like there's certain clubs like Paris Saint Germain and Barcelona and all that that will be good going after the cream of the crop because they're broke or that because of financial fair play or something. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the, there is, is a very interesting window that we just seen there, and it's going to be even more interesting in the summer. Um, it's different from what we've seen in the past. Um, but yeah, I, I think with that, like sort of kind of going off topic a bit, and maybe actually I'll just call it a call it a night. I think we've probably covered everything that we're hoping to cover. Actually, before we leave, um, tomorrow, Angers, what's the score going to be? <laughs> I, I'm going to put the blinkers on this. I'm going to say, because we always play down to campus, I'll say 1 0 on this. Fuck off, Ed. <laughs> oh, mate, really? <laughs> yeah, I've got a feeling Link is going to. Are you guys sitting next to each other at the game? We are sitting next to each other, and I'm just looking at them <laughs> thinking, what? You should go and get a hotel if that's how pessimistic <laughs> you're going to be, mate. Like, <laughs> no, wait, I, I, I think because. Because there's, it's been a month since we've had a, a well, a, a semi-full crowd. They're expecting like 50, 55,000 people to the Velodrome, so relatively full, right? 80%, that's, that's enough. Um, add, add 5% because I'm going to be there screaming my fucking lungs out, pushing the team on um, and hoping for the best. But I, I think that will spur the players on to finally wake up at home and we'll, we'll, we'll get a sort of 2-0 or a 2-1 win, which will be dodgy, but but we'll take it, you know? So I predict a win, um, and I just... When we debrief next week and we record next week, Ed and I will, will be able to, to obviously give you the, the, the inside of you of being there. But, yeah, I just think it's... It, I think that the facts... I think there'll be a 12th man, and I think there'll be the extra 10% from the players because they need to... They need to buy back some some... You know some credibility after Tuesday, and as the fans will spur them on massively. Okay, well, I'm going to say it will be a one-one draw, despite Ben yes, being I there to spur them on. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah, one-one. I think um, I think we're, we're coming out of a, a busy a busy week. You know, we've had a couple of um, games uh, in a short short space of time, and one then one. When you yeah, know, Thinking about yeah. the 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 length of the game at the in, on uh, last Friday as well, and just maybe yeah. the players might be a bit we, tired. Um, so I'm sort of thinking that yeah, one one. I'm not expecting them. I'm, I'm sort of miraculous sort of come um, turn around from from Tuesday. And I think with that, question, maybe question, question, quick question though. Um, even though we probably know it's not going to be the case because he's, he's adverse to it. 
I, I, I'm sort of thinking there may be some turnover. We may see potentially a Kolasinac tomorrow or a Bakambu starting. Do, do you think? What do you think? Yeah, perhaps. The accumulation of games, maybe it's the perfect time for it, no? Right, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to wrap it up, guys. Um, so um, you guys okay. can um, stay and chat about OM all night by the, by the, by the sounds of it. That's what you'll be doing. But yeah, um, enjoy the game tomorrow. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And yeah, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully uh, get back out here after, after um, maybe after Angers or after the Nice game or something in, in, in the next week. Take okay. care, Sam. Thanks, everybody, for listening.